Hey, hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Morning everybody and uh, welcome to the Oh The Places We'll Go show. This is your weekly live cast show at 8 a.m. on Friday. Hopefully giving you a lift into the weekend. Maybe you've had a crappy week, so gets you through the trials and tribulations. Uh, and through into a nice weekend. For first timers, um, what we're doing is actually focusing on the imperfections rather than the perfections of some of amazing people in the world. Their ups and downs, their resilience, their undulating life journeys. It is after all the undulations in all of our journeys that gives us energy uh, and allows us to savor the good times. Um, and ultimately it's the undulations that make for an interesting story, which is what we're here today. So today we've got an amazing guest. Um, it was great to have Paul Polman last week. Uh, so we needed somebody who was quite brave to follow that. Uh, hence, we've very deliberately chosen Gemma, uh, who literally and, and metaphorically stands for bravery, and you'll hear a lot more about that. Uh, I'll do an intro to Gemma in a moment, but just to remind everyone um, that uh, we want to get your questions, so please come follow, follow through the chat box there. Um, as a new thing this week, uh, we've got a, a great prize for you. Uh, Gemma has very kindly donated a mentoring session for one lucky winner. So to be in with a shot of winning some of Gemma's time, you do, all you need to do is take a screenshot of the session, post your favourite quote on being brave, copy us in, and then Jordan will announce the winner later today. So that's a, a big prize to go for, so please do that. Uh, and on, on that, along those lines, a big shout out to So uh, from last week, who was last week's winner of the School of Marketing subscription. So well done, So. Um, and I think Richie tells me you've already completed the first course, so I hope you're, in, you're enjoying that. Okay, so to Gemma. Wow, amazing to have Gemma on. Uh, so Gemma's career is framed by 14 years at the Marketing Society, where she swiftly rose through the ranks and became chief exec in 2017, having previously been marketing director and also then global managing director. So whilst at the Marketing Society, uh, Gemma launched Marketing for Good in 2013, and that initiative really epitomizes her desire to do good in the world. She also founded a boutique club in 2013 called Cabal, which depicts an entrepreneurial streak. But as CEO um, at the Marketing Society, Gemma raised the bar hugely. I think it was already doing pretty well, but she took the organization global to Hong Kong, Singapore, Dubai, India, and New York. Uh, and most uh, famously, importantly, created the Brave Movement that we'll hear more about. Now, Gemma is one of the, I think, the best network people on the planet. Uh, and building upon that, Gemma very recently left the Marketing Society and formed uh, sorry, co-found Nurture and Partners, which is all about connections. And again, I'm sure we'll hear more about that. Um, the thing I would say about Gemma is she's incredibly self-deprecating and humble uh, and has the fantastic ability to put people at ease. And I know that will shine through. So Gemma, you're amazingly welcome. It's fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, and also thank you for very generous, generously giving your time for a coaching session. So brilliant to have you here. And uh, I think um, if your camera's on now, it probably was already, but... Uh, very much welcome, Gemma. Lovely to have you on the show. And I'm going to hand to Richie for the first question, but welcome, Gemma. 
Thank you. It's great to be here. And that was some introduction. No pressure there then. <laughs> well, Gemma, look, it's, uh, just to echo it, it's, it's awesome to have you here this morning. So thank you for taking the time and really thank you for donating some little bit more time for one of our lucky guests. So guys, please remember, do take a screenshot and post your favorite quote on bravery. Copy us in um, for a chance to win sometime with Gemma. So hey, there we go. Um, so Gemma, over, over to you. First question. Um, did you actually want to be a marketer to begin with? I mean, you know, what's so special about this industry? What's, what's your take? It's a really good question. Um, I actually didn't want to be a marketer at all. I, um, I wanted to be a TV presenter and I was actually um, beginning to produce um, um, showreels and things and getting further into it. And it was by chance I got a, um, I, I chose a university where I did a um, placement um, which I absolutely recommend anyone should do because I think having that experience in the industry um, before um, before going into the big wide world is a, is a good thing. So I did a placement at the Foreign Office and it was there that I was exposed to um, an incredible department where we made documentaries to promote um, Britain overseas. And I just loved the um, opportunity to build partnerships and bring people together. Um, and actually that's remained constant in my in my entire career. So when I was offered a, a first gig as a TV presenter, so it was, it was um, the, the guy that was um, sort of mentoring me, if you like, he said, said you'll never, and this shows my age, he said, you'll never be um, uh, on the news. You're more big breakfast kind of presenter, <laughs> which I knew Mark, you would know. <laughs> um, that sort of, I suppose, uh, brings me to life. Um, and I was getting a, a first gig and I just thought, Do you know what? I love um, what I've been doing at the Foreign Office. And, um, and it was marketing of sorts. And I thought, I, I want to continue to do that. And I think, I think that's, that, that's what our industry is about. It's, it's changing every day. It's, you're at the forefront of innovation. Um, every day is different. And the opportunity that you have to make a difference is unrivaled. And um, for me, the constant was building partnerships all the way through that got me into marketing. Wow. Uh, Gemma, I, I could totally see see you filling Piers Morgan's shoes. You know, I think that uh, that that could that could work. Um, but look, from the from the glamorous uh, heights of showbiz uh, to the to the underground, um, changing and making an impact in in the space. I mean, it'd be be great to sort of join some of those dots for us. Um, how did that sort of happen, and then how do you get to the the lofty heights of of what you've achieved thus far? Of course, I'm sure the journey's still ongoing. Well, I think um, I, we were talking, you know, just before in terms of, I didn't do the traditional marketing route. I think it's fair to say. Um, I was more of a, a squiggly career as um, friends, uh, Helen Tucker and Sarah Ellis that wrote the book, uh, Squiggly Career. Um, I was much more, um, instead of doing that, I was much more kind of like this and I couldn't quite figure what I wanted to do. So I kept on moving. So I didn't do a job for longer than two years, which is interesting because when I joined the marketing society, <laughs> I really felt like I found my home. Um, it, was, um, it was very different back then, I think it's fair to say. And saying 14 years makes, uh, it just, it's a bit crazy actually that I was in one company for 14 years because before that, <laughs> just yeah, I always had itchy feet. Um, when I joined the marketing society, it's fair to say it was quite different. It was a UK based network. Um, it was um, quite traditional, quite staid, um, perhaps gender-wise it was 
I hate to say it, but a little bit old boys club. So it's quite different um, to, um, to what it is today, the global community is today. And um, I joined and I saw there was so much to do. I just got very excited and I just felt, I love, I love making change and making things happen. And um, it was, it was, um, yeah, I use, I use a phrase I'm not going to use right now because I'm realising this is, but, but you know, a pig in mud, shall we say. I was, I was, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, in break with just so many different things. And people were at the Marketing Society back then more as a, as a job than a career. And that's something that, um, I wanted to pivot and, and change and together with Hugh Burkett, who was my boss, um, and an incredible boss for many, many, many years. Um, we just, we just kind of started to make change and we stopped we listening to the industry, listening to our members and realizing there was a huge opportunity to make a bigger difference. And that started the journey of, you know, going global. Um, so we were in Manchester and Birmingham and Bristol and Hugh and I were like, we fancy going to New York and Hong Kong. So we did. And um, we're now, <laughs> I say we, I still say we, even though I, do, I, I left there over um, a month ago. Um, but we, you know, they are, and, and I'm still a member and, and a very proud member in part of it. Um, but now a thriving global community across the world, New York, Hong Kong, Singapore, Dubai. And there was an opportunity, there was a, there was a strategy behind it and that we knew that there wasn't anything quite like the marketing society and the opportunity to build communities all around the world to um, make a difference uh, was a real, um, we, we realized there was an opportunity there. But also it was all about the people. It was, it was just identifying great people to help us along that journey. And, um, and it, it, was, it was quite whirlwind actually. Um, people said to me, you know, I remember when we opened Hong Kong and they said, well, you know, will you leave it a few years till you open the next hub? And I was like, now I'm flying to Singapore tomorrow and uh, we plan to open that in six months. <laughs> and I think, I think you've got to almost set yourself a, a, a goal and make it, Hugh always taught me, make it um, public and make it hairy and audacious and, and go for it. And that's sort of what we did. And, um, and if we didn't, we'd still be just in the UK. So it was, it was a real journey. And as a result, I, um, I uh, stayed for a long, long time because it was a home to me and it was, uh, every day was different. It, it has been an amazing journey and you have transformed that organisation. And I think it's fine to say we for about a year and then, then you'll, you know, you'll move on to even bigger and better. But I, I love the expression squiggly career, but within that, there, you know, there will have been highs and lows. But what do you think has been the best role that you've had so far? Um, being chief executive, for sure. So um, Hugh took a chance on me when um, I was on maternity leave. So we met um, for lunch and I thought he was just going to sort of catch up and, and say, uh, you know, how are things? And I, my baby was two months old and what have you. And he said, it's time for me to step down and for you to step up. Now that doesn't mean I got the job at that point. I then had to go through lots of interviews with all the board and, and lots of other things. Um, but it, was amazing that I, I, I was beginning to think, do I even want to go back to work? I'm enjoying being a mum that enjoys lunching and having fun and, and you know, all that kind of good stuff. And, and, he, and he believed in me at a time when I suppose he, I needed him to believe in me. And so I joined back at, I, after maternity leave, I knew that I was, was going to be the next chief executive. Um, and it was, it was um, 
it was incredibly um, empowering, but also incredibly scary mm. to take on the chief mantle of such an incredible organisation that I'd been part of for so long. Um, and I was, I was in that role for three and a half years and it was the best three and a half years of my life. Um, I absolutely loved it. It was brilliant, but it was hard, <laughs> very hard. Gemma, if I may, for, for a moment, take you back into, those, into that moment in time. And you talked a lot about um, you know, the, the audacious plan and the audacious goal that you had and, and, and the focus. Um, I want to get a sense of the balance between perhaps that planning process and just being opportunistic in relation to, you know, the growth trajectory that the, the society had over that time. It was hard to hear you there. You cut out a little bit. The, the growth, can you just repeat um, that again? The, the difference between planning and being opportunistic, how did that play out for you? That's really interesting, actually. So... For us, it was always about getting the business right in the UK before we moved global. And that was going back to the roots of the society. Um, it was incredibly respected, um, but it, it lost, it lost the, the, the fizzle, if you like, at, at the heart of it. And that, that is the, the members, so that's the customers. Um, and so it was listening to what our customers wanted, which you know any good marketer should do. Um, and thinking about how it was important to put our members at the heart of everything that we did and how we could, and, and we still do this to this day, this is the number one thing we do, how we can bring value to our members and therefore evolve um, accordingly. So it started with listening to our customers and building out from that. And so instead of having events with 100 people, we were having events with 20 people, but they were all members, they were all part of the community, and, um, and they felt that sense of belonging, and we built out from that. And that's how we grew, and that's how we did all the great things that we did. And, and through that, it was listening to the members about, you know, there's an opportunity to go global. Listening to the members about um, how marketing's evolving, and how, you know, always our, our mission was at the society to stay, stay five steps ahead. So I always used to say to my team, um, our job is to give to our members what they need to know, but they don't know they need to know. And that's hard in an industry like ours, which is at such a fast pace and at the forefront of everything. Um, I've just seen, we have our first question. Jordan has just uh, sent up a little message, just thought I'd tell you. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you guys are doing this, but just saw. Um, and what was I saying? I was, um, yeah, and it was just, it was, like listening to our customers and, and building up from that. And that was where we started to really build a vibrant community of people that all had something in common and how we could help each other and inspire each other and, and share learnings. Um, and so, yes, there was a plan, which was we wanted to be the um, leading global network of senior marketeers and set up that incredible goal. But the way we did it was quite squiggly. I think it's fair to say, just like my career. <laughs> well, that, that, is a good, that is a good segue. So the question's from James. Thank you, James. Um, so great stories and examples of resilience. What's not worked out as well as you expected? So we'd love to hear your top knockbacks and how you recovered. Gosh, so many things. Um, where do I start? I think, um, so when we, um, when we started the global journey, 
um, Hugh and I and the rest of the team said, um, let's be in every major city by 2020. We started it in 2013. And I remember when we were in Hong Kong and we were, I was interviewed by the journalists and they said, are you sure you want to say this every major city? And I was like, absolutely, we're going for it. We're on global domination. <laughs> after, um, after a year or so, we realized as much as we were going at a very fast pace, we realized it was time to pause and it was time to reflect and time to soak in what we learned in order to open the next place. And do we need to move at, at such a crazy pace? And instead, let's get right what, what, we, um, what we've already started on. So we opened five cities in a very short amount of time um, and very quickly changed the big goal and actually hopefully people won't remember, but I've now just said it, um, to 10 major cities. And so we were on a mission as a team, we are going to get to 10 major cities, um, which we're at seven, so um, by 2020. And it was with the help of our board um, and, and brilliant, I don't, um, someone you should get on your show actually, Craig Ingalls, who's amazing, uh, formerly John Lewis and our chair. With the help of the board and the support, and I think that's what, what life's all about, that the people around you and, and, and together you, you're stronger that said, you don't need to get to 10 cities. You've already moved, we've already moved at such a pace and just embrace what, what you're doing and, and let's get that right as opposed to open three more cities and not do them as well. And that was a big lesson for me because I put it out there publicly and, um, and everyone was really excited about it. And it was a big vision and we were all moving towards that great future. And it was, no, let's, let's take stock and let's get right what we've got as opposed to doing lots of things but not doing them as well. Um, so that was, that was one of the biggest lessons and, um, and we did that. And we decided, you know, strategically as a board, we would not um, open up three more cities and we haven't. Yeah, but well, that's, that's, that's a great learning to sometimes hold goals lightly, even the biggest goals, because things change and you learn yeah. as you go. And, my perspective is you never make the right decision, you make a decision right. Because as you get over time, you get more information which shows that your original decision wasn't, was, was imperfect. Um, I, I want to talk about bravery because that's, that's, as I said, epitomizes you. But just, just before we do, obviously bravery is the purpose of a marketing society, but just in terms of your own personal purpose, Gemma, so how, how, how did, what, what would you describe as your personal purpose and how did you find that? That's a really good question. So, um, I, the way I, I found my purpose is um, really figuring out what I, I care about, um, what I love to do, and, um, and sort of merging, merging those two things, if you like. So my, my purpose is, is um, it's all around how can I make a bigger difference. So it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a whole believer in work hard, play hard, be humble and kind, and make a bigger difference and have a bigger impact. And why are we on this world to, um, to you know, just, just to exist or are we on this world to give back and, um, and, and have a bigger impact? And that's my purpose is through bringing great people together, we can make great stuff happen and together we can make a bigger difference. That's, that's my purpose. And I came to that through, well, my career has been the whole way along is bringing people together 
and I, I, I find that that's my, that's my ethos in life. You bring good people together, good stuff happens. That's where the magic comes from. But you've got to start with being kind and being curious and being humble. Um, and I guess, I guess I, I got there because I really figured out what I cared about and what I love to do and what I love to spend time doing. And, um, and, and that's really how I did it. I think my son's coming down the stairs. In fact, he is, I apologize. I have a four-year-old. Says, is he daddy? <laughs> as long as he doesn't ask me to his nappy on, on film, that will, that will be good. But now I've just said it, so. <laughs> this is one of those, uh, those BBC moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except I'm not going, go away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all good. All good. Actually, um, so uh, Richard, I know you want to come in, but there's there's a, a good question from Matt uh, that builds exactly on what you were just saying. So, when building a networking organisation, how do you move from people looking at what's in it for them to truly looking at what they can do to serve others? I think that's a good build on what you've just said there. So, how how do you do that? Well, I think it's about having a clear vision um, and having a clear um, understanding of where you want to go together. And we were really clear at the Marketing Society. Um, of what we wanted to achieve. The Brave Agenda, though, came out a little bit by accident, um, but I can talk about that a little bit more in a, in a moment, because I know, you know we'll, we'll maybe move on to that. Um, so it's, it's having a clear vision, and it's giving people the space um, to be able to um, take part. And what I believe in, in membership is you get what you, you, you put in, and if you can create a space where um, people feel comfortable enough to take and at times be uncomfortable so together you can start to shift the dial that's what it's all about and that really came from our brave agenda so it might make sense to talk about that first because that will move on to how we did that together does that make sense yeah, <laughs> it, it makes perfect sense and, and just before we, we do I've got a bit of a trivia question for the audience which kind of segues into this I'm just gonna launch a poll here so guys want to get your thoughts on this um, Perhaps an interesting, an interesting question. So, okay. So, what did the IFIS report as the biggest differentiating factor of marketing effectiveness? Uh -huh. Just gonna give it a couple of seconds more. Now, in, in some ways, it may well be a, a leading question, but hey, hey ho, we're not being scientific here at the moment. It's a show. Right. Um, okay. Thank you very much for that. I will launch the poll and let you see what you guys thought. So there we go. So bravery came up as the top notch, but very closely related to creativity. Um, and interestingly, I you know, the. The, the key reason was actually it was bravery, in fact, although a lot of studies have shown creativity, but, but this, was, this came out latest from, from IFIS and it's all around bravery there. So um, goes to show there is something really rich and powerful in this from a marketing perspective. So Gemma, back to you. I love that. That's awesome. And I'm, um, I'm really fascinated. To, I thought bravery was like the, the, the genius master plan. But but that it came almost by accident. So tell us, just Gemma, tell us the, the bravery story. So I, I would I would love to say it's the genius master plan, but um, but but I, I would be lying. Um, we always had a purpose at the marketing society to inspire bold marketing leadership, and that's something that Hugh and I, um, uh, and and a, and a bunch of people uh, 
I suppose, put together to give us that, um, I suppose, lens to look through in everything that we did to ensure that, um, you know, if, unless it was inspiring, unless it was leading, unless it was bold, it wasn't quite for the marketing society. So having that point of differentiation. And when I became chief executive, um, or when I knew I was about to become chief executive, I didn't feel that was enough. So that's the first point. I felt that, that, that bold, it was brilliant, but it needed something else. So that's the first point. Um, but actually where, um, and I love, I, I, I'm, I'm a big passionate believer in, in bravery. And so the word that I wanted to bring in was, was brave. Um, but where it actually came from is when I got announced, I think it was in Campaign Magazine, that I would be the next chief executive. Um, I had a bit of a crisis of confidence, even though the industry um, were incredibly supportive and lots of brilliant people like yourself, Mark, and many others wrote to me and said, this is fantastic, this is great, well done you. Um, you know, really excited about this. Um, you deserve it, you've earned it. And, and you know, to be fair, I kind of hadn't. Yeah, I've been there over 10 years, made a, a lot of uh, changes and what have you. Um, the idea of being in such public shoes and following my predecessor, um, quite frankly, gave me a bit of a crisis of confidence. And I started to think about, and I felt incredibly vulnerable. And I started to think, oh, how am I going to do this job? I'm going to have to be more like Hugh. Um, and I'd see Hugh stand up and, you know, talk about the architecture of a building when he's speaking at an event. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not going to do this stuff. And, um, and he's so polished and he's so amazing. Um, and I started to think, right, I, I need to, I need to be more corporate. I need to wear a suit, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and I really begun to think I needed to emulate Mr. Burkett. And then through being around amazing people, and I really do think it's about that and having such an incredible support network, I realized that if I'm going to do this thing and I believe I was ready for it as well, and I was ready then I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to be me. And that was where I felt incredibly vulnerable. I felt incredibly brave to be stepping in such um, significant shoes. I would say big shoes, but he's a little man, so he doesn't have the, the biggest feet. Um, uh, but I, I felt that I, um, to step into such shoes, I'm going to do it my way. And that meant being brave. And therefore I wanted to encourage others to be brave. And this, for me, the start of being brave is being yourself, being your true self and encouraging others to be themselves. I love the saying, be you so others can be them. And that's effectively what the, um, it's saying my internet connection's unstable. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Yeah, we can. Yeah, okay, great. Um, and, that, and that was the start of the Brave Agenda. And then it was kind of like, right, so now I've, now I've established this, um, it was like, well, let's, let's get the word bravery into everything that we do. So our purpose became to inspire brave leadership. Um, and, um, and then the journey started. And it was, if we're going to talk about being brave, then we really need to be brave. And that, let's, let's start not talking about all the, kind of like you guys, it's not all the perfect stuff. It's the stuff that goes wrong. So I wrote to a bunch of CMOs and said, could you, um, could you come and on stage and talk about a time when you failed? And I've never had such quick responses to pe from people. Um, and they say, I love this. You know, I'm always asked to talk about, you know, a great campaign. And instead I can talk about the time I failed. So it was such a popular series that we ended up doing two, two or three of, of, of the events um, with amazing people like Sil Salah, the um, previous CMO of Diageo and the Martin Society president, um, that would share a time when they failed. And, and it opened up this incredible 
intimate space where if people like that can share, then we all can. And it allows us to be ourselves and to be our true selves. And that means it's okay not to be okay. And that started a whole journey into mental health and the things that we talk about behind closed doors before anyone was doing that um, on public stages. And that was the start of the Brave Gender. And it's now a global conversation worldwide where we um, do everything through that Brave Lens. Well, I think in the last five years, it's the best example of how small acorns grow into massive oak trees that I, that I can recall. And I think it's inspired an awful lot of people. And you talk about taking mental health conversations to places where that they, they, they literally hadn't started, not just in marketing and anywhere. But if, if it's possible, can you distill your, your proudest moment in the last three or so years? I suppose one of my proudest moments, um, I mean, so many, I mean, the, the society was so incredible. Um, but was when we did our first fishbowl. So, um, which has now been called coined Gemma's fishbowl, which I think is a terrible term. So, uh, <laughs> hit me for this. Um, but it was when, um, it was the first one we did, um, and it was a brilliant guy, Robin White, um, creative genius in our industry, said to me, um, we're not talking about mental health enough he said to me i'm bipolar and it's seen as negative and it shouldn't be and he was on a bit of a mission and i said well we should be doing this we've started talking about failure we're talking about um stereotyping like race gender etc um let's let let's talk about this and um we created a space where and this is what a fishbowl is it's a where you sit around in a circle if you like and um the participants not any one speaker but the participants in the middle um, uh, might share a story. So there's someone that hosts. So I hosted, I always hosted the fishbowls and we did them all around the world. And then one by one, you open that space for people to feel comfortable to be uncomfortable. And one by one, people shared their stories. And people said, and then that first one, I'll never forget one of um, somebody I've known in the industry for many years, and I didn't know this about him either, um, got up and said, I never thought I would do this in a million years, but the bravery of people standing and being vulnerable is enabled me to share my story. And I've been suffering from depression for 25 years. I've never felt I could tell even my closest friends. And one by one, everyone did. And it was a moment and we haven't gone back from that. And I do believe that if you can be brave enough to share stories together, that's where we can share our challenges and that's where we can overcome together and start to make a difference. And that probably was my, my proudest moment, wow. I would say. That's, uh, that's incredible. And in fact, you know, Gemma, I've, I've been involved in a couple of those sessions and genuinely the impact that, and, and actually showing your vulnerability creates such a, a huge bond between the people in that, in that environment that you actually end up being friends for a very long time because you've kind of, you've heard their truth almost and that's 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 it's a beautiful moment so i, I totally relate um yeah. guys if anybody um would yeah. like to if anybody would like to to get some time with Gemma, just remember that all you need to do is take a screenshot um, and actually post your um your your fit your best quote on bravery um and then post it onto linkedin and copy us in and jordan will um then pick the winner later on um, I know we're soon running out of time, Jim. I could probably talk to you, could talk to you all, all morning. Um, but I want to take a question from Raju from Jeddah. Um, and he says, and he asks, uh, great brands are associated with the legacy. Um, how do they sustain this attribute in an instant gratification order? 
characterized in the current new world order and the digital revolution? That's some question. So it was hard to hear you because it's slightly cut out. Is it in the questions? It is, yes. So I think, I think the key thing with brands is they need to find ways to have meaningful connections with their audience and with their customers. And brands have an opportunity more so than, you know, and, and that's why marketeers have an opportunity more so than, than many other um, industries. Um, not just an opportunity, I would say, I say responsibility because brands have the voice of the customer. So brands have an opportunity to use that to be purposeful and to make a difference with something more than just selling um, to their customers. And so for me, brands that really are the ones that make the difference are the likes of Mars. So the Maltesers, um, lighter, side of disability, lighter side of disability, you know, those incredible adverts where, you know, they're fantastic, but they also made a real point. Um, and that's what I think brands need to be doing. And that's how brands will create a legacy. Look at Bodyform and all the great stuff they're doing now. You know, and, and I think as marketeers, we don't just have an opportunity, we have a responsibility because we can make a difference and reach um, millions and millions of customers. And we've got an opportunity to make change. And I think more and more brands now are trying to do that. There's some getting on the bandwagon, but there's somewhere it's at the heart of everything they do. And that's so, so important. And that's how I think a brand creates a legacy and creates that platform. Um, no, that's great insight, Gemma. Um, changing subjects a little bit, uh, you've already talked about being kind, being humble, being vulnerable. They're amazing messages for everyone to hear. Uh, it, from a vulnerability point of view, what, if you don't mind sharing, what, what is it that you beat yourself up about? Oh my God, everything. Um, I, I was talking to my friend Chris about this yesterday, actually. Um, I, I beat myself up about so much, but I guess the, the, the main thing is, is, is not being good enough. Feeling, that feeling of not being good enough and not feeling I'm doing enough. So um, I remember when I, um, I did a, a fishbowl, um, which actually the fishbowl used to be a circle, but they've actually now turned into these huge events where um, go and stand in the middle of a crowd of 300 people. And I, uh, and I um, did one on imposter syndrome. And I remember acutely feeling so aware that the only thing I really felt qualified enough to talk about imposter syndrome is that I had it hugely. You know, this feeling that you've got to where you've got to um, through um, luck as opposed to your ability. And I think we all, we all have things like that, but we, we don't talk about it. And we should, because we all have things that hold us back. And it's understanding what those things are, understanding what those voices are and embracing them. Um, and you know, helping those voices to get, get quieter. And I remember once when I was with them, Mark, you'll know Steve Radcliffe, the brilliant leadership coach, he's incredible. And he said, oh, how are things? And I said, yeah, things are great. Um, and he said, yeah, but um, are you sure? And I said, yeah, things are great. And I went through all the different things in my life that were great. And he went, but, and I went, I just don't feel I'm doing enough. And he was like, okay, so you've just told me all the great things you're doing but you've still got this feeling. And he, he said this brilliant thing to me, which I've taken with me and actually used in lots and lots of um, mentoring and, and what have you, which is um, you've, got, you've got two pots. One is evidence and one is thoughts and feelings. Which one's real? Which one's real? You can answer. Which, one, which one's real? These are my pots. 
So evidence is real. But thoughts and feelings get in the way all the time. And so he said to me, you've got to build that evidence pot and remember it because these are the things that are true. And let these thoughts and feelings not get, you know, it's like two plants and, you know, with the pots and, and the, the evidence builds and builds every day, all the great things that we do. But thoughts and feelings get in the way of, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And you just have to go, right, but what actually am I? What have, actually have I achieved? And so every time I beat myself up, I go to my evidence pot and go, actually, I'm doing all right. <laughs> I think that's I think I think that's a great uh, you know a great way to think about it. Um, and in fact, uh, perhaps related a bit to James's question here, when he talks about perhaps giving some tips and advice on how you can balance courage and consequences. Can James give a bit more information on what he means by that? Courage and consequences. So, being so, I don't know if James can actually come in to speak, but being true to yourself requires courage and can have consequences. What advice would you give on balancing courage and consequences? I think, I think it's all about being true to yourself, um, and it, it's it's only when you're yourself that <clears throat> you build trust. And for me, relationships and uh, everything, and that's where great things happen. And I think. Not everyone's going to like you. And now you're, you're, you're opening yourself to feedback and that's okay. And you just have to accept that and you have to take it on the chin. But the most important thing is to be yourself and accept what those consequences are and learn and listen and, and be part of it. But, but start with being yourself and always be yourself. And that does mean that it's not going to be easy all the time, but that's why you know, there's a great quote, the Roosevelt quote, you know, the man in the arena. Would you rather be, you know, what, would you rather um, die daring greatly or never to have tried at all? I'd rather go for it. I'd rather be in the arena and accept that um, there is consequences to that. But the only way I'm going to make a difference is to be in that arena. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about Nurturing Partners because that's, that's what's next for you. So intrigued to know a bit more yeah that's what i'm doing right now so i have my business cabal which is a club of extraordinary people and the heart of that is, is being humble um and um and nurturing partners is something that i set up with uh, my brilliant business partner dan um uh, we officially launched at the beginning of july and it's um our belief in the power of connections and it's through and i've said this quite a few times so i guess it shows that i'm very true to who i am but good relationships drive growth. And so nurture and partners is, I suppose, <clears throat> unlocking the black book, understanding the understanding and the insight that we have within, um, within uh, ourselves, myself and Dan, and working with people to unlock the opportunity and drive growth. Um, and part of that, <clears throat> and this is what I love about having my own business without barriers in any way. Um, and uh, part of that is how it's using those, those meaningful connections to create really great experiences. So we're beginning to curate programs um, for people to help with change and inspiration um, within their organisations or within their memberships or what have you. Um, so we're just building a new um, thing at the moment. But at the heart of it, it's all about connections and bringing in amazing people to be part of those experiences. Yeah, cool. well, you, as I said, you are one of the most networked people on the planet. So when you said Little Black Book, I, I'm, I'm every uh, belief, it's going to be an amazing success. So we'll, 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 we'll watch that, that journey unfold. 
Um, we are getting close towards the side. Richard, I think we do have time to do a few of the quick fires. Do you want to bang in a few of the quick fire questions? This is a surprise element, Gemma. So if you one word answers. Right. Over to Richie. Gonna throw gonna throw them at you, Gemma, and just instinctively, whatever whatever comes to your mind, okay? Yep. So here we go. Um, texting or talking? Talking. Would you rather be would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Speak every lang um, language in the world. Favorite junk food? Sorry? Favorite junk food? KFC. Oh, good advertising, by the way. They've done some great stuff. Okay. <laughs> They've influenced you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing's better. Uh, favorite childhood TV show? Oh, Sesame Street. How many hours of sleep do you need? I need about 20, but I get about eight on a good night. Not bad. Certainly not, not bad. bad. Didn't uh, get that much this morning because of this early, early morning thing that, that you guys are doing. <laughs> and, and especially with a little helper at home as well, you know, that's, that's good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay. If you could ask God one question, what question would it be? Gosh, that's a big one. Um, how can you stop all the, the the hurt in the world? You know, all the all the damage and destruction. Yeah. And uh, final one from us: uh, Did you ever believe in Santa Claus? <laughs> Are you telling me Father Christmas isn't real? <laughs> yeah, well, Josh is in the background. <laughs> the next, you're going to be telling me the tea fair is not real. Seriously, <laughs> oh, no, there's an advert on that now. I didn't see it. Uh, oh, brilliant. Um, well, so so from from the sublime, uh, from from the ridiculous to the sublime, maybe the other way around. Um, so, Gemma, uh, the final signature question um, that we we've been asking um, is is this? So, ev everyone has moments where they remember exactly where they were in the world when a world event happens. So, which which world event has had the greatest impact on you, and why? Got to say the Twin Towers. I remember I was in one of my first jobs um, after university. Well, my first job after university. Um, I worked for a bread magazine, which uh, was very glamorous. But I believe, you know, you can sell to fat bakers and machinery makers, you can do anything. <laughs> um, and I'll never forget, I was in, um, I was, I was in uh, the, the publishing company and um, we didn't have the television on and someone put the television on and you just saw this utter disruption and to, to such an iconic um, building. Um, and it just felt, it felt unbelievable. And, um, and, and for me, it was the moment that I realized there was, there was so much hate in the world um, and we needed to do something about it. And I can't, I've kind of been on a mission ever since. That was the moment. Yeah, well, um, that was obviously a terrible moment, but a lot, if that's the point of origination, then a lot of good has come from it in terms of what you've done and what you've achieved, Gemma. So we are out of time. Um, an enormous thank you from us and also from everybody listening in and those that watch it subsequently. Uh, the, the, the purpose was to give people a bit of a lift into the weekend if they had a crappy week and hear your undulations. You've given us a lot of sparkle, um, a couple of hairs on the back of the neck moments, but lots of brilliant insights as well. So thank you so much for your time this morning, Gemma, and uh, have a lovely weekend. I don't know if you're, you're back to bed now, but uh, you've, you've, earned, you've earned a bit of rest. I actually have a personal trainer um, arriving in a wow. minute. Wow. Um, yeah, so I'm in my gym gear right now. <laughs>
So I'm quite scared about the fact that she's going to um, put me through my paces. Well, yeah. tell her, tell her to take it easy because you've earned a bit of a, a bit of a, bit of a break there. Thank you.